0: other members of the hospital staff noticed that I just I wasn't I wasn't acting right I was I don't know I think it was maybe wobbly or bumping into stuff or something like that and so they were quite concerned about me and they actually took me to an urgent care center that's not a hospital it's kind of like a, a step below that and I was taken to an urgent care center near the uh, uh near the veterinary hospital they took my blood pressure with something like 200 something over 100 something and they said uh no dude you need to go directly to a major hospital, which was in the same city. It was actually caused by a 50% obstruction in my left middle cerebral artery, which I have to this day. That obstruction is still there, for which I'm on blood thinners and have met with an interventional radiologist. Uh, we, we've discussed going in and, and removing it and decided since medical management is, is doing so well, we're gonna hold off on that since that procedure carries risks of its own. One of those risks being, of course, another stroke, which I really would like to avoid. <laughs> I was able to go home and then go on to uh, transition to physical therapy and, and uh, occupational therapy and stuff like that. I was happy to get out of the hospital. The hospital treated me very well and I have no complaints about it. The food wasn't even terrible. But nonetheless, as you might imagine, I was I was happy to be out of there and happy to be someplace that I was comfortable. But home was, uh, you know, it was different. It had its own, its own challenges. One of the effects of the stroke is that I had no It changed my uh, vision on my right side. I also have uh, aphasia and alexia. Text was very difficult for me. So YouTube was my friend here. And I found videos from neurologists and radiologists and, and other uh, similar reliable sources. And I looked at so much CT and MRI imagery that I could probably pass the boards today. I got copies of my own brain images to compare. So that helped me sort of define what had happened.
1: Hello, it's Mark Goodyear here with Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Today, we hear from David Kane, who lives in the Shenandoah Valley in the state of Virginia. And David suffered a stroke at the age of 47.
0: I was born in San Francisco, California, and lived there many years until the uh, late 90s when i moved to virginia to get married and i at the time in california and then when i moved to virginia i worked in veterinary medicine as a veterinary technician and i also when i moved to virginia had a side business doing uh, it it work on the side i bring a little extra and so that was that was kind of like my thing that kept me quite busy yeah I, I was married no kids i was interested in uh, technology uh, obviously so i with my um, comfort with it, which also helped me after the stroke, by the way, I was comfortable with technology. So I I would repair people's uh, computers and technology and set them up with their TVs and and other stuff like that. And that was, that was, uh, that was my hobby. There's a lot of stress involved in veterinary medicine. So that was a a nice uh, side gig for me. Also enjoy photography and, and nature in general. This was in May of 2014. Um, I was at the time working at at a veterinary hospital. The hospital where I worked was about, eh, it was about 45 minute drive away from home. So I was uh, at the hospital. Fortunately, I suppose I, I was not in surgery or assisting in any procedures, I was apparently just doing office work and my memories of what exactly happened are, are a bit cloudy, but apparently other members of the hospital staff noticed that I just, I wasn't, I wasn't acting right. I was, I don't know, I think it was maybe wobbly or bumping into stuff or something like that. And so they were quite concerned about me and they actually took me to an urgent care center. That's not a hospital. It's kind of like a, a step below that. And I was taken to an urgent care center near the, uh, uh, near the veterinary hospital. They took my blood pressure with something like 200-something over 100-something. And they said, uh, no, dude, you need to go directly to a major hospital, which was in the same city. So I wound up at, at, at that hospital, and they did a CT scan. And then for some strange reason, they discharged me and sent me home, which is quite bizarre under the circumstances. So I wound up, uh, my wife picked me up, took me home again, 45 minutes away, and I wasn't feeling right overnight, and the next day, I really wasn't feeling right, and I wound up in the emergency room at a different hospital closer to where I live, and then I was, next thing I know, was in the intensive care unit, and that's kind of where my stroke journey kind of began, and I met up with, eventually, a neurologist who said, you know, you've had a stroke, and this is what happened, and it was all quite quite overwhelming at the time, as you might imagine.
1: David was mistakenly sent home from the first hospital he went to.
0: They did something wrong. And the reason I know they know that they did something wrong is I never received a bill for it. You always, always get a bill. Under this circumstances, I never received a bill, never had to pay a a dime. And so it's really kind of unclear. One theory is because I do have copies of the CT images, and they actually looked normal. So it's possibly the stroke hadn't advanced far enough to be visible on CT. But still, the way I was acting, I I would have expected to have been admitted to the first hospital. But in any event, the second hospital took really good care of me and started me on my way. And they even referred me to a, a specialty hospital about an hour away, for advanced testing, angiography, advanced uh, vision testing, things like that, and so the neurologist who who I dealt with at, at the second hospital was awesome. He really sort of set the tone and calmed me down, and uh, I was always very grateful to him. I had had what's called an ischemic stroke. Uh, in the world of strokes, you may be familiar with this. There's essentially two types. There's bleeding strokes and Clotting strokes. Clotting strokes, such as what I had, is more common, called ischemic stroke. Uh, Bleeding strokes are slightly less common, but can be more dangerous. But ischemic strokes can be quite debilitating. That's what I had. It was actually caused by a 50% obstruction in my left middle cerebral artery, which I have to this day. That obstruction is still there, for which I'm on blood thinners. And have met with an interventional radiologist Uh, we've discussed going in and and removing it and decided since medical management is is doing so well we're going to hold off on that since that procedure carries risks of its own one of those risks being of course another stroke which i really would like to avoid (laughs) so we had a we had an honest discussion uh, about that procedure and i've been quite comfortable with that so you know i take plavix or clopidogrel which is a blood thinner and certainly other medications, and that's done the trick. You know, I haven't had a single stroke or stroke event since 2014, which I chalk up to medical management, but also the things I've done outside of the medical management as well.
1: David was in hospital care for just over a week.
0: Sentara RMH, which was the second hospital I went to, they're the ones that sent me to UVA, which is University of Virginia, which is the major referral hospital in my area and they sent me there specifically for uh, an angiography since i had the stroke affected my vision to see a uh, neuro ophthalmologist for advanced eye testing uh, as well so i was there for two or three days maybe and then went back to uh, care with my with my regular team at Centera uh, in um, Harrisonburg Virginia which is again about an hour away i was in there for i'm thinking about a week and then they i was able to go home and then go on to uh, transition to physical therapy and and uh, occupational therapy and stuff like that. I was happy to get out of the hospital. The hospital treated me very well. And I have no complaints about it. The food wasn't even terrible, but nonetheless, as you might imagine, I was I was happy to be out of there and happy to be someplace that I was comfortable. But home was uh, you know it was different. It had its own its own challenges. One of the effects of the stroke is it I had no it changed my uh, vision on my right side. I also have uh, aphasia and alexia and I had problems with balance and so I'd be bumping into stuff so I had to I had to sort of rediscover where I lived because I kept bumping into stuff and so that took a while to get used to it was good to be home but you know there's for a lot of as I've understood it from my research for a lot of stroke survivors is they go through a lot of depression and that really hit me quite hard for a time where I'd just be sitting on the couch, uh, staring at the TV like a lump. And I would probably still be doing that to this day if some lizard part of my brain hadn't kicked in and said, you know, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do something different because you can't continue like this. This is not, this is not good. And that's, that's kind of where I started to, to make some changes. First thing I did was I wanted to know what had happened. So, you know, what what, what was a stroke? You know, I, I knew vaguely what it was. What was it for me? And so I started looking on, because one of the other changes for my stroke is I had Alexia. I, I couldn't read. so Text was very difficult for me. So YouTube was my friend here. And I found videos from neurologists and radiologists and, and other uh, similar reliable sources. And I looked at so much CT and MRI imagery that I could probably pass the boards today. I got copies of my own brain images to compare. So that helped me sort of define what had happened. And then what was I going to do about it? Well, my next thing was, well, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to have another stroke. I need to work hard to prevent that. So I need to take my medications reliably. Before the stroke, and frankly, as I tell people, the stroke was entirely my fault. I had not taken care of myself properly for some time. I had gained a lot of weight. My diet was not the best. Part of that had to do with the high stress uh, work that I did. You don't eat well in very medicine. You run around and eat what you can on a on a busy in a busy practice. And so that all contributed. So I needed to change those things. And so I did. So I started very simple. Um In addition to learning about what is a stroke and what happened, I started going out and walking. And that was its own challenge because for the first walk, I could barely make it to the end of the driveway. But over time, I was able to do half a mile and then a mile. And then I was able to do two miles uh, once a week or something like that. Until finally, after several years, I was able to do reliably four miles every day. And I have maintained that record to this very day. So I do four miles every day, and about once a week I'll do a six mile as well. And it's paid off. I've shed some weight. My blood work numbers, which I have done twice a year, are significantly better than, than they were at the time I was in the hospital.
1: Coming up, David talks about learning to drive again.
0: But about 2018, I started thinking, well, you know, I feel better. My health is stable. Maybe I can drive again. So I checked with the State Department of Motor Vehicles. I checked with my eye doctor, my regular doctor. And legally, it turns out I was able to drive again. Oh, wow. Holy cow. If I'd only known. I could be bitter about the time I wasn't able to drive, but at least that gave me time to work on myself.
1: And his plans for the future.
0: I wanted to move back to the country where I live, so that's we're actively currently looking for a uh, looking for a, uh, a new home out in the valley or even further out. We do a lot of traveling. We're going to the Caribbean over Christmas. So I'm excited about that. These are all things that I thought would never be a possibility for me back in, in the immediate post-stroke period. I thought, you know, these things were never going to happen. I, I, was, I was never going to be able to drive again. I was going to be stuck in this box and I was Depressed enough that I was willing to accept that, but everything is just opened up.
1: Let's hear David talking about how he used technology to aid his recovery.
0: I have aphasia, which has speech, but as you can tell, I I, I do pretty well for the most part. So that's improved. But I have the biggest problem is Alexia, where I have trouble uh, reading. Uh, Basically, all when I look at text, uh, you know, you show me a Z, I will see an F, that sort of thing. So as you can imagine, that kind of makes reading difficult. So I use uh, a lot of text-to-speech apps and things like that. I use uh, Audible uh, for all my books because I, I was a voracious reader before the stroke. And I, I, you know, it's something I, I wanted to continue to be able to read, but I couldn't do it the way I used to do. So I had to to use Audible. And so all these things, all these little tools, and, and having a, a smartphone that can read stuff to me or I can I can talk to, is a huge difference, and I often think, well, what if I had my stroke in, you know, in the 80s or something like that, where a lot of this technology did not exist? It would be much a darker world for me at that time, if that had happened. I feel pretty darn good. I wasn't able to drive. After I got out of the hospital, I, I was told I would never be able to drive again, and in fact, did not drive for for about five years. And I didn't question that too much, because there's this depression that comes after you've had a stroke, and it's just like, oh, I don't care anyway. And that was fine for a while, but about 2018, I started thinking, well, you know, I feel better, my health is stable, maybe I can drive again. So I checked with the State Department of Motor Vehicles, I checked with my eye doctor, my regular doctor, and legally, it t- turns out I was able to drive again. Oh, wow, holy cow. If I'd only known, I could be bitter about the time I wasn't able to drive, but at least that gave me time to work on myself and that helped. So I, and my license was still valid. All I had to do was get in the car and start driving, which was its own terrifying experience because I hadn't driven for five years. Would I, you know, drive into a wall or something like that? So I first started, uh, first drive, I live out in the country, so there's not a lot of traffic. So it's very easy. I just drove to the end of the block and back and holy cow, I'm I'm mobile again. I cannot tell you what a huge difference that kind of freedom makes and made for me, especially. I feel really good at being able to drive has, as I said, has changed everything. I was able to, you know, drive around my neighborhood and eventually I was able to tackle the interstate. So I tell people after the stroke I got I got divorced, my favorite dog died, and it sounds like a bad country music song. But now I'm remarried, I have a new favorite dog. And life is good. So I try and be optimistic about these things.
1: David was also able to talk with other stroke survivors.
0: The hospital uh, where I was originally treated, Centera RMH, they had a, a stroke survivors support group, which I went to. Unfortunately, COVID came to town. That sort of scrambled things up as far as, because you would know, go meet in person and get together. And that sort of got scrambled up after, after COVID came to town and you know it was interesting hearing other people's stories but it, it wasn't f- for me and, and i'm a very i'm an introvert to begin with so i'm i'm not a big big on socializing uh but i enjoyed communicating about my experience and hearing about other people's experiences so so that did have its have its uses for sure i got married in 2019 and we're hoping to move to a different part of virginia uh, my wife currently lives uh in a different part of the state, just about a three-hour drive. Oh, I met her online, and when we started talking about the future, it was—I I had no desire to move back to a major city where she lives. I wanted to move back to the country where I live. So that's—we're we're actively currently looking for a uh, looking for a, uh, a new home out in the valley or even further out. We do a lot of traveling. We're going to the Caribbean over Christmas. So I'm excited about that. These are all things that I thought would never be a possibility for me back in, in the immediate post-stroke period. I thought, you know, these things were never going to happen. I, I was, I was never going to be able to drive again. I was going to be stuck in this box and I was depressed enough that I was willing to accept that, but has just opened up. And that is so exciting. I cannot tell you. So my, Well, I'm excited about that, but I always have to bear in mind, you know, there are these risks that I have. I, I look at my, I actually keep all my CT images and I look at them periodically to remind myself, this is what happened. Don't let it happen again, because the stroke was my fault in the first place, because I had not taken care of myself for a long time. And I, and I paid the natural price for it. And I'm just thankful that I got away with it. With, with my life, and that I was able to rebuild rebuild my life to, to, to the extent that I've been able to.
1: During his recovery, David had a motto that he would always return to.
0: To other stroke survivors, I take the, the motto from the movie Galaxy Quest, never give up, never surrender. That has served me well. And I've always tried to face the challenges that have been put in front of me with some good humor and try not to be you know, there's a lot of bitterness and angerness that, that a lot of stroke survivors go through, and I've, I've, I've tried to channel that into something that's more positive. I use humor a lot of times. I make fun of things, of myself, most of all. So I think those are useful tools for stroke survivors. For, for um, loved ones, you know, they need to have a lot of, obviously, love they already have. Patience and things like that to deal with the challenges that come up. And as I say, I know a lot of stroke survivors have changes in their moods and they can become angry and things like that. I I didn't suffer from that, thankfully, but uh, that requires a lot of of, uh, family and loved ones for sure.
1: David's stroke was a severe episode and the blockage that caused the stroke remains in place. But due to a combination of a strict medication regime and radical lifestyle changes, David hasn't had any further episodes since and is enjoying his new lease of life. Thank you, as ever, for supporting Stroke Stories. Please do subscribe and rate and comment to help us spread the word. And if you are a stroke survivor, or you know a stroke survivor, and there's a story you can share, please get in touch via our DMs that are always open on Twitter and Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.